Hello, Aaron back here, and today I'm back at it to continue in this series on low-code and no-code. In the prior episode, I covered the, the growth of the low-code, no-code evolution, some things to consider, and left you with some takeaway tips. However, I'd hinted at uh, some different categories that exist, but in reality, these are more like, I don't know, factions, camps, whatever you'd like to call it, however you want to frame it. There's no-code tools, and there's some low-code tools to be aware of. So, what's the difference? While there are many similarities on the surface, uh, there are a few key differences that you should make a note of. So, let's look at the no-code first. Um, the no-code category of tools tends to have, have a few things in its favor, uh, such as a visual integrated development environment, or IDE, um, Create, you can allows you to create uh, some business applications, lower level of complexity uh, that exists, and uh, the need for a, a smaller budget is is something to consider when um, utilizing these tools. Additionally, there's some pre-built components that you can leverage within the UI when you're creating your, your apps. Now, this isn't true of all no-code tools, but could represent most. So what about the low-code tools? Well, these tools tend to have a few things in their favor as well. They also have a visual IDE. Uh, they also allow you to build business applications just like no-code, but here are a few things that are different. The low-code category tools tend to have um, a relatively robust way to do application integration. I mean, think about if you have other systems within your organization that you'd like to integrate to, to pull data from or push data to. Um, this allows you to create uh, and build the app so it can talk to those other systems. Also, you need to think about that it has consumption outside organization capabilities. You know, many apps I've seen um, or examples of are used internally by, by the employees um, now, these could be employees around the world, but it's employees throughout your company. Uh, but being able to have an app available to users outside your org can have you know, huge benefits. I mean, one off the top of your head could be you want to sell the app in an app store for as an additional means of revenue. Um, now, the other thing that's in this uh, low-code area is the comp complexity to use the tool. Is something to consider you know some people find it quite scary when it's a brand new tool and uh, not understand so that can uh, really lead to a higher level of training that's needed uh, for people to get started or get most out of the tools capabilities you know so, some are more intuitive than others um, is really the, the point here um, also low-code tools tend to have a greater level of allowing to do customizations um, what's cool about this is that what I'll call true devs, those that really code for a living, uh, can create code blocks or components so that the citizen makers can use those pre-built blocks uh, when they're building their apps. And this allows for a true hybrid and collaborative environment between the devs and the citizen makers that are out there. So something else to consider is you know, who, who are the target users of these tools? Um, while many 
companies say they target uh, citizen developers, makers, creators. <laughs> I mean, you pick the term for it. Um, when referring to these low-code category or the no-code category, it's, it's typically that it's the citizen makers are where the no-code category kind of sits well, whereas the low-code category is primarily targeted for IT professionals and DevOps. And I mean, there's quite a few tech-savvy citizen devs out there that would back to differ, I'm sure. But that's kind of where things, you could somewhat say, blur the lines uh, between who's, who's the target audience. Something else that's very important to consider is the governance that needs to be put in place when using these tools. Typically, the no-code tools trend towards creators just needing to bang out something quick, which in the long run may lead to a Wild West type of environment uh, where you know just anything can go. Yes, they may still be able to create what they need, but it doesn't serve the overall purpose and goals of the organization or it may lead to some uh, risks and things. And what I mean by that is that it could lead to risks of the one version of the truth regarding data, which is really vitally important when it's uh, you're dealing with GDPR, for example. Um, Loco tools are typically part of a the tech landscape, uh, adhering to guidelines established and working within some set parameters of you know, rules and regulations. And what I mean by that is obviously each organization has uh, some standards, guidelines, rules, regulations that they have to abide by depending on the industry that they're in. And if you're building an app that's going to serve, uh, say, your employees to utilize, you need to have some sort of framework that takes these things into consideration. Um, so this, however, does not detract from the creativity that can lead to some really awesome apps that can have a, a huge impact in many ways. So where does this leave you? So in the last episode, I, I left you with a few tips on, uh, you know, what to consider when you're looking for a tool that you want to purchase or start diving into. But uh, here's a few extra tips that uh, may help you when you need to look at things a bit further. So first, who will be creating these apps? I mean, is this just for a small department or team within your company? Or do you want everyone in your company to feel empowered to create? Um, so you make sure you have a framework in place to, uh, to really allow people to be empowered to go out and create something when the, the uh, need arises. Uh, what type of apps will you be creating? Are these just really simple apps with just a few screens or is there some level of complexity needed? So, I mean, this goes back to my point earlier where this could be a really collaborative time for the citizen makers and your dev teams and folks to work together to create something awesome. Uh, who's going to be your primary users of the app? I mean, I mentioned this earlier where a lot are just for internal consumption within the uh, company, but there's ways to create apps for external consumption as well. So you need to keep that in mind as far as who's the target consumer of these. Another important thing to consider is what's the target device the app will be used on. 
in today's world, apps need to be created with a mobile first mentality. So phones and tablets need to be considered first, but don't discount accessibility on a, you know, on a laptop um, for your application. You know, things to think, consider. Because, I mean, why is this important? Uh, if you think about this further, um, when you're building your app, it needs to have uh, a fluid adaptability to it. It needs to know the device that it's the app is being rendered on. So if it's a smaller screen with your phone, and also needs to know if it's turned portrait or landscape. So uh, the same goes true with your tablet. And then if it's on a, uh, a uh, laptop. So at the end of the day, the decision really is up to you. So vet the options. A lot of these uh, op uh, tools and options have trials uh, out there. So um, get a trial. Uh, they vary in number of days you can get the trial for, but you know, think of a proof of concept where you can mock something up quickly with just a few screens just to get a, uh, an idea of what you're looking to do and see what works and what doesn't. So in the next episode, I'll be back at it looking at the impact of AI with these tools. So stay tuned. Until then, bye.